Today we are going to be reading from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and it's on page 1049 uh, in your blue Bible in front of you. My name is Priscilla. I'm, I've been a partner here for a couple years, and I'm on the hospitality team. I have not had the pleasure to meet you. Hi. Um, we believe this is the Word of God, so if you please stand. And again, it's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. You may have your seat. Awesome. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning again, Flourishing Grace. I don't think I said it earlier, but for those of you who are new, my name is Josh Nye, pastor of Preaching and Vision. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to preach a little bit this morning. We're going to sit underneath the teaching of that word in particular. And we've been in this uh, series on, on spiritual formation, being formed in the image of Jesus. And it's one of our main pursuits here at Flourishing Grace. And yet we come to this place in, in this series where uh, I, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm really excited, right? We've talked about, we've talked about um, deformation and counterformation. And this morning, we lean into transformation, right? This transforming that happens that Jesus has promised us. And yet, for so many Christians, for so many people who go to church every week and maybe read their Bibles and, and pray and maybe even practice some of the spiritual disciplines and practices that we talked about last Sunday, these practices of counterformation, right? For so many of us, right, we never actually experience the fruit that Jesus promises us, right? The life that he's promised us. Like we do all of the things and yet we kind of come to this place where it's like, man, I, I see this person over here and they're like, they're just like that is amazing, like, spiritual life, and I'm doing all the things, but I'm not experiencing that. I've seen this again and again and again. Famously, Jesus says in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's like, okay, Jesus came to give me life, but I'm not experiencing, I'm not feeling that. Like, where is this life that Jesus has on offer? Everybody wants abundant life, but how do we actually find it? It's like a person who um, decides that they want to learn how to play the piano, right? Zero music talent or ability, but they're like, man, I want to play the piano. And so they go on KSL, and if you're new to Utah, ask your neighbor. You'll forget. They go on KSL, and they, and, they, and they buy like an old used piano, like this sweet old piano. Right? It's probably like in the basement of some church someplace. And they, they get it delivered to their house. And they like, I have no idea what, how to do this, but we're going to figure it out. So they watch every YouTube video that they can find. They find a teacher to teach them. And they work and they work and they work. They play for an hour every single day. Faithfully, religiously, they are putting into practice the discipline of piano, right? They're doing it. And yet, no matter how hard they work, it just, they just can't quite seem to get it to work. And they go to their, the teacher's house, and they, they, the teacher teaches them, and they have this amazing experience, and it sounds good. Like, it's like, this is working. And then they go home, and they're kind of left to themselves. And they're like, ah, I just can't do it. Like, every time I go here, I have this amazing experience. But 
throughout the week, as I go through Monday through Saturday, I just, I, I got nothing. And so they double down. They say, all right, I'm going to get, I'm going to get another teacher and I'm going to put in three hours a day and I'm going to get all these piano resources. I'm going to spend my money on this and I'm going to play till I have carpal tunnel. I'm going to go, I'm going to figure this out. And they go to their teacher's house to, to play and it's just this amazing like experience of music and sound like this is amazing. And they go home and it's like, ah. it's like one day a week, it feels good. But the rest of the week, I just can't, I'm doing all the things, but I can't do it. The whole time, never realizing that that old piano they bought was horribly out of tune. And no matter how good they could play, they were never going to make it sound good. The piano was out of tune. And so eventually they just quit. It was like, this this stinks. I'm not made to play the piano. And so they just stopped, never realizing the piano that they're playing was the problem all along. I think it's the same way for so many Christians. We do all of the things that we're told to do all week long. I'm putting in the time, I'm putting in the hours, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm Sabbathing, I'm doing all the things. And then we come in here one day a week, we're like, this is amazing. Like we sing and we're praising God. We're like this is, we're experiencing this thing here and then we go home. It's like, I'm doing all the things, but like, why is my life so void of the things that Jesus promises? Why am I weary? Why am I tired? This morning, I want to speak to you if that's true for you. Maybe there was a season in your life, a moment in your life where you had this spiritual experience and you've been trying to get back to that forever. Like, I want to, what's, I want the fruit that Jesus offers. Now, if, if that's not you, if you're like, man, I, I've got that fruit. Like I wake up every morning, I memorize a book of the Bible every day. I walk on the water in the afternoon and like my life's pretty good spiritually, right? If that's you, then I'm not talking to you this morning. You can tune me out. In fact, you just come up here and, Preach the sermon for me because you're doing better than I am, all right? If that's you, then, then don't worry about it. But for those of you who would say, man, I am trying as hard as I can. I'm in the grind every day spiritually. Like I go to the gym every single day, but I'm just not seeing the results. If that's you, then I want to speak to you this morning. I'm trying to help you today. This morning, I want to help maybe perhaps open your eyes to why you've not experienced the spiritual transformation that you're seeking And here's the first reality that we need to understand. The first thing that I want you to see this morning is this. We are motivated by the wrong desires. We're motivated by the wrong desires. And this is really at the root of everything in life, right? The reason why we eat super healthy and we go to the gym and you do your like ice bath craziness or whatever the heck it is that you do, it's not so that someday out there in the distance of the future, when you are old, you're like, man, I just want my grandkids to experience me. That's not true. If that's what you're telling, that's not true. The reason you're doing those things is because you want to experience your grandkids, right? I want to get on the floor and I want to play. I want to be that amazing grandpa. Like, so I do all these things now so that someday out there, right? It's for me. It's not for them. Like nobody goes to work and works tirelessly every single day. It's like, man, I just want my boss to make more money this year. Nobody says that, right? I want the promotion. I want to be seen. I want people to see how hard I work so that I can get his job somebody. That's what we really want, right? Like I'm selfishly motivated. And when it comes to our spiritual life, our faith, it's the same thing. When I say I want spiritual transformation in my life, what I'm really saying 
What I really mean is that I want the fruit that Jesus offers. Give me the fruit. I want to experience in my life, I want to experience abundance of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Give me all of that. Give me the good life. Like, that's what I want. You promised life and life abundant. Give it to me now. Right? Give me my inheritance now. Like, that's what we want. And Jesus does offer those things. Maybe not the good life. Right? He says, in this life, you'll have troubles. Right? But he does offer this, those things. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what we want. Like, give me that, baby. Like, anybody, I get real, genuine rest. Like, anybody in the room, like, yes, please, sign me up. Like, I, that's what I want, man. I want a gentle and lowly God to lead me into a life of rest. Lead me into a life where, man, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. That's what I'm talking about. Like, show me some of that. Give me that abundant life. And when we approach our faith with kind of these selfishly motivated desires for the fruit of Jesus, which is a good thing to desire, right? But when it's selfishly motivated, right, we sit down at like the, the bargaining table of faith. And we say, all right, here's what I'm bringing to the table, God. Right, here's, here's the deal. I will... I will pray every day this week. In fact, I'll tell you what. If you answer the prayer for the new job, I'll throw in fasting. Okay? I'll throw it in. It's, it's, a, it's a package deal. It's a good deal. Listen, I will I'll read my Bible every day. Every day. All I need you to do is make my kid obey this week. Okay? Every day for seven days. Just make them obey me for one day. Just a little piece of my house. Like We approach it as like a bargaining table. I'll do these things for you. You do these things for me, right? But this is where everything gets, becomes all sorts of jacked up. Because the idea of free grace is a terrifying idea. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, he tells the story of a woman that he meets. Who, who says, man, man, the idea of free grace is a terrifying idea. Keller's like, wait, what? Like, grace is like the thing that we like celebrate all the time. Like, we sing songs about, like, what do you mean it's terrifying? And here's what she says. Here's how it goes. Tim, Tim Keller says this. He says, I asked her, what was so scary about unmerited free grace? And she replied, something like this. If I was saved by my good works, then there would be no limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if the reality is true, that I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. You see, free grace, unmerited grace, 
is the thing we talk about all the time is like this, this selling point of Christianity. It's amazing. We sing songs about it, amazing grace, right? It's, we want this. Everybody wants free unmerited grace. That's what you need. Never realizing the whole time. That's a terrifying idea. It means that you come to the table with nothing to offer. Nothing. It's all grace. There's nothing to bargain with. You have nothing in your hands. There's nothing that you have that, that he can't take from you if he, if he wanted it. He owns everything. It's already his. It's a scary idea, but I think this is what Paul is getting at in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, right? We know Romans 12.2. It's a famous passage. Many of you could probably quote at least half of it, right? This do not be conformed to the way of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, like, we know that part, but that part is meaningless without number, verse 1. Verse 1, Paul says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God, right? Paul is leveraging something other than their selfish desire. What's he leveraging? I appeal to you, therefore. What is the therefore? What's he mean? I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore what? What's the therefore? Any guesses? But what is, what's it, what is the therefore? Like, what is he? Everything before it. Romans 1 through 11. Romans 1 through 11. Well, what's, what's Romans 1 through 11? Oh, baby. Romans 1 through 11 is like the greatest theological treatise of all time on our depravity, how broken we are, how we bring nothing to the table. And an infinite God who holds all things comes to the table and says, it's all yours. Free, unmerited grace. You bring nothing. I bring everything. And I want to bring everything. I want to clothe you in my own righteousness. I want to pour out my mercy upon you. It is the fullness of the grace of God. And Paul has been banging this drum for 11 chapters, showing us the depravity of man, the great glory of God. It comes to the place at the end of chapter 11 where finally he bursts into praise. He says, oh, the depths of the riches in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Or who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the great mercy of God, right? This is the leverage. This is the motivator. Paul says, I have something greater than self-motivation. I have God motivation. I have an ultimate motivator. This is what we need. We need an ultimate motivation and we have it. We have it. The gospel of God, the mercy of God is an ultimate motivator for our life. When your desire... When your desire is selfish, what happens when you don't get what you want? What's that? You pout, you pout, yeah. But think about it, think about it for a second. Think about it even further. I want to lose weight. I want to get jacked. And so I go to the gym. I go on a diet. I do all the things. It's hard work. It's hard work. I get on the scale. It's like one pound. Uh, what do I do? You quit. You quit. 
Because it's selfish. I didn't get what I want, so I quit. We need a greater desire. We need a desire outside of us. And God gives us an ultimate desire, a desire that comes from outside of us, not from within. The desire that we have has been given to us. It is our motivation from outside of us, and it's constantly, infinitely towards us. There is no end to his grace. There is no end to his mercy. There is, you can't tap it. You can't find the bottom of it. It's always there motivating us further and further and further. It never ends. So God, give me a greater picture of your grace towards me. Give me a greater picture of your mercy towards me that I may do your will today. Not that I will pursue my own selfish desires, but that I may do your will today. You see, when our, when our motivation flips, when our motivation is in the right place and the right things, our desire changes. It's no longer, I'm no longer motivated by this idea of spiritual fruits. I'm motivated by him and his desires. I don't want what I want. I have a greater motivation and therefore a greater desire. I want what God wants. I want what God wants. And what does God want of you? What does God want of you? What's the greatest commandment? The first and greatest commandment. first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. What does God want from you? Yeah, he wants you to rightly love him above all things. That's what God wants of you. His desire is that you would rightly desire him God's desire is that you would rightly desire him. God gave up his only son to reveal to you his mercy and his kindness so that you would rightly desire him, so that you would be empowered, motivated, and enabled to fulfill the first commandment, to love him with everything. Suddenly, I have brought nothing to the table. He's brought everything to the table. I have this new motivation to do the thing that he longs for me to do. And that thing that he longs for me to do is to rightly desire him above all things, to love him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and all of my strength. And that's where true joy is found. He knows where the source of your joy is. It's in rightly ordering your loves Rightly ordering your affections, rightly ordering your desires. And when he is the chief of all of those things, we are going to be the most satisfied people on the planet. The gospel drives intimacy. It drives a longing for nearness, a longing for closeness, a longing for obedience, devotion from a posture of gratitude and grace. And this, this is the only place where true transformation happens. Let me say that again. In the heart of God's desire for you, where you love him rightly and fully, is the only place where true transformation actually happens. So God goes to infinite lengths to give us an indestructible desire, motivator, to desire what he desires for us which is that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength 
so that we would come to the place where transformation actually takes place. In this intimate relationship with him, intimacy with God is the only place where true transformation actually takes place. I need you to hear that this morning. Intimacy with God is the only place where true transformation takes place. This brings me to the second thing that I want you to see this morning. Intimacy must become greater than action. Intimacy must become greater than action. I've said it several times already this morning. For many of us, what happens is, man, we, we say, man, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm serving in the kids' ministry. I'm volunteering. I'm giving money. What more do you want from me? Like, I'm at the bargaining table giving everything on the table, and I'm, you're not giving it to me. Intimacy must become greater than action. This is what happens in uh, the church in Galatia. And Paul writes to them, and famously in Galatians 3, he says this. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, you idiots, you morons, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You saw it happen. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Is that how you were saved? Is that how the Spirit filled you? You did all the right things? Is that how it happened? or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Are you that dumb? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is it working for you? Is this working out for you? Like God did this transforming work in your life. He pulled you out of spiritual darkness, brought you into spiritual life. You, the light bulbs went on. Your spirit was full. You experienced his grace and his mercy. You experienced this unbelievably abundant life. And now all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work harder at this. How's that going for you, Paul says? Is that working? What has happened? Action became more important than intimacy. Action became more important than intimacy. I need to be with God was replaced with I need to do for God. Let me say that again. I need to be with God was replaced with I need to do for God. And friends, this is where so many well-intentioned people become spiritually derailed. I need to be with God is replaced with I need to do for God. And in our Western American culture, right, this is easy, right? We, we are just the people that just get it done, all right? That's what we do. We just get it done. Like, that's what we do. So, like, nobody's going to outwork me when it comes to my job, when it comes to my hobbies, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my faith. Nobody's going to outwork me. It's going to get it done. It's going to do it, right? But when obedience and action begin to trump intimacy, everything falls apart. We become convinced along the way that transformation is found in doing. As I said earlier, for many, many people that I talk to, anyways, had this moment, just like just the church in Galatia, somewhere in your past, back in the day, for most of you, most of the stories I hear is like, back when I was in college, right, or whatever. Back when I was in high school, when I had unlimited time, I was reading my Bible all the time. Man, you had this spiritual awakening where God did a work in your life and it was a sweet, sweet, sweet season. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was a few years ago for you. 
and you experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you experience this inward transformation where you, you begin to think differently and feel differently, and you had this desire for intimacy and nearness, you felt like God was in the room as you read your Bible. Like, that's what it was like for you. And somewhere along the way, action became more important than intimacy. You began to do for God. And I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do for God. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. I'm going I'm to join a path group. I'm going I'm to do these things. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do three Bible reading plans instead of one. I'm going I'm to pray all the like, And all of a sudden it became about action. What am I going to do for God today? In the same way, I mean, there's so, some, there's so many things in, in life that are like this. Right, this, is how, this is how like diet fads like make so much money, Right? It's because if they can just get you excited about the new thing, right? It's, it's new, it's fresh, you're going to lose a million pounds, it's gonna be a, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to be like withering away if you just buy this billion dollar Tupperware, right? And you do it, you buy this like sweet Tupperware, it's going to fit all your food, you're like, this is amazing, right? And you got the cookbook and the Tupperware, it's a package deal, like two for one. Like you say, I'm saving money, honey. Like you're doing all the things and you got the new scale that comes with the Tupperware if you just spend an extra few bucks and like this whole thing, you got it all, you're like, I got the new stuff and you're excited for it and you do the thing for like a week and you get on the scale and you're like half a pound right like a few months later like that tupperware is like in your kid's lunchbox she's like i don't need that anymore it's like garbage whatever right and you've moved on with life and you're back to pizza and donuts it's okay that's how it works in the same way right you come to church you're like this is amazing or you come for the first time or your friend invites you and all of a sudden you're like you're in, like you're reading all of the books and you're signing up for everything there's a sign up for. Like on the little card, you're like, you're like, wait, boxes? I'll check all the boxes, right? I'm like, don't do it all, right? You get a new Bible, you're just like, mm, goat skin. Like, this is amazing. You got all the new highlighters and all the new markers. It's like, this is it. I'm in, baby. Here's the thing. I, I've met so many people, all joking aside, seriously. As we said earlier, we celebrated. Maybe next Sunday, we've been doing this for six years at Flourishing Grace. And over those six years, again and again and again and again and again and again, I've met people right after the gathering. They come up to me and they, maybe they've been here for a few weeks. Maybe this is the first time. They're like, this is the greatest church ever, which is flattering. It's very kind. It's not true. It's not true. I mean, the best looking church ever. Maybe, yes, I'll give you that, okay. But the greatest church ever, probably not. They're like, this is the, great, the greatest music ever. I'm like, it is good. It's very, very good. Greatest ever, probably not. This is the, like the greatest kids ministry ever. It's like, okay. Flattering, kind, yes. Very good, but not the greatest ever. Greatest preacher ever, like, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. You have no idea what you're missing out on if you think this is the greatest preaching ever. And they're so excited, and a few weeks go by, maybe a few months, maybe even a year. And they're gone. Just like the piano player that could never get the piano to work quits. Just like the person who can never get the diet thing to work quits. They never found transformation. Because they found all the tools that are meant to drive intimacy, but they never found intimacy. And they fell in love with the tools, but they never fell in love with Jesus. And therefore, there's no transformation. And when your desires are selfish desires, 
You quit. The good news is this. Flourishing Grace is not the greatest church ever, but we don't need to be because none of these things, none of the things that we do here produce intimacy. None of these things that we do, sorry, none of the things that we do here produce transformation. They're meant to help produce intimacy. It's meant to be intimacy-inducing acts as we come and we sing the gospel over one another, as we sit under the teaching of the word, as we send our kids in and, we, and they sing songs and they sit under the gospel project curriculum, as our students gather and they are formed into a biblical community. All of those things are meant to drive them towards their, their need for God and their need to have intimacy with God. It's not meant to produce transformation. We can't produce transformation. I can't transform you. I can't transform you. These things are meant to produce intimacy. In the same vein, right, counterformation, the things that we talked about last Sunday, for those of you here, right, those things don't produce transformation either. They don't produce transformation either. Many people pray, right? The things of counterformation, the spiritual disciplines, the practices, right? Prayer, Bible reading, Sabbath, silence and solitude, um, uh, generosity, uh, community, hospitality, all of these practices of the Christian life, they don't produce transformation. They don't. People all over the world pray all the time. They're no more transformed into the image of Jesus. People from all different religions fast and practice silence and solitude. There are scholars who memorize the Bible that don't look any more like Jesus than, than the next person. These things do not form you into the image of Jesus. Counterformation, these acts are acts of spiritual disciplines, are means to nearness and means to intimacy. They slow us down. They focus our minds. They make space in our lives to help draw us towards Jesus. But they don't actually make us like Jesus. Counterformation is choosing to get on the throwing wheel of God rather than the throwing wheel of the world, right? The throwing wheel, the, 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 the wheel that spins, that, the, the, that the, the potter makes the clay into the object that it's supposed to be, right? That's a throwing wheel. And we spend our lives on the throwing wheel of the world just moving faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. This is going to satisfy. This is going to make you happy. This is going to bring delight. This is going to bring joy. Buy this thing. Do this thing. Do this thing. And it's just faster. We live at this reckless pace. And all of those things are pulling us away from intimacy. You don't have time for that. You got to do this thing. You got to do this thing. You got to do this thing. Right? All those things are pulling us away from it. Counterformation is saying, no, 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 no. I'm getting off of that wheel and I'm getting on this wheel. Reading my Bible moves me from that to this. Sabbath moves me from that to this. Solitude moves me from that to this. Fasting moves me from that to this. Prayer moves me from that to this. But this, this wheel, is where the Spirit of God reaches down inside and begins to form you from the inside out. This intimacy is only produced on the wheel with Him. Formation only happens through intimacy. Those things, those acts of getting off of that wheel and moving on to this wheel, man, do not, do not produce transformation. They move us towards intimacy. And intimacy is the thing that produces transformation. Over time, the more we choose to climb up on the throne wheel of Christ, choosing to draw near to Him, to make time for Him, to be with Him, the more He causes us to become like Him. Intimacy must become greater than action. And so then Paul turns us and he says, do not be conformed to this world. Get off of that throwing wheel, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world deforms us by pulling us away from the intimacy of God. And counterformation is the fight 
for intimacy. Um, I thought about whether or not to say this, but I think it's important. I said it in the last gathering. I think it's important. I mean, I think, so the, there's so many tools today, like new modern tools of counterformation that we, that we use all the time. And we, and we recommend them. They're great things, okay? They're great. But I've been having like a struggle recently with some of them. Uh, so it, I said this in my path group a couple weeks ago uh, with my guys. I, you know, we've been, we've been using the YouVersion Bible app, which is great. It's like, it's like first of all, I was like, this is amazing. Like, there's, there's like 500 million some odd crazy number of people have like downloaded the YouVersion Bible. It's like a, the Bible in your phone, on you, all that. Like any translation you want, right? All these reading plans, like thousands of reading plans. I don't know how many there are. It's crazy, right? And you can read these reading plans together. And at first I was like, this is amazing. And then I realized, like most of these reading plans, it's like, here's your devotional and here's like your one verse of the day. It's like, how fast can you get this done? And then you get like a, a check mark. Like you actually get a check mark. Like, like check, you, you did it. And I, I went from like reading for intimacy to like reading for a check mark. Like, give me the check mark. And I want the guys in my group to see, oh, I did it. Oh, there's my little check mark right there at the top. It says, JK, check mark, done, did that. All right, sweet, done. Like, took me five minutes and I'm, I'm moving on with my day, right? It's, it's like deforming me rather than forming me. It's like this process, man, how fast can I get this done? Our quick little prayers. And then there's nothing wrong with the YouVersion Bible app. And there's nothing wrong with quick little prayers. But man, we need intimacy more than we need action. And so, man, if you want to get in the Word every day and you're just like, I just need a quick, like, that's great. But if you want true transformation, we need intimacy. Are those things driving you to intimacy? For me, there's just something about sitting down with like an open, actual Bible and like creating just like a space for an extended time with the Lord and being reminded that I'm reading for the sake of intimacy, not for the sake of information, not for the sake of speed, not for the sake of just getting it done. I'm reading for intimacy. I want to be with God. I want to open this gift with Him as He participates in this with me. I'm praying for the sake of intimacy. And we need to move towards intimacy. Every day we are either on the throwing wheel of the world or the throwing wheel of the Spirit of Christ. And we are beholding the things of the world or beholding the one who transforms us. At the end of our days, we will have missed out on 10,000 blessings because we are simply too busy to be with Jesus. Got to get it done. Just got to move. Just got to move a little bit quicker. Got to get it done. Got to get it done. Got to get it done. Never actually experiencing the transformation that he offers through intimacy with him, which leads me to the last thing I want you to see this morning. Being with Jesus is the only thing that produces transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Being with Jesus is the only thing that produces transformation into the likeness of Jesus. And for some of you who are taking notes and you're listening, you're like, I feel like you said that already. Yes, I did a thousand times. This is like the only thing I want you to see this morning. Like I've been saying it again and again and again. Being with Jesus is the only thing that produces transformation into the likeness of Jesus. And Jesus says it better than I could ever say it. He says it in John 15, famous text. And I'm going to read it for you. And I want you to listen in because this is exactly what he's saying. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now stop right there. You see, we, get, we read just to check the box. Slow down. What does he say? Every branch where? Come on, people. Every branch where? 
in me that does what? Not bear fruit. Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're telling me that I can be in Christ, but not experiencing the fruit that Jesus offers? That's what I've been saying all morning long. Okay? This, this idea that man, I, that I've, I've, I am I'm saved by the grace of God. I experience this transformational moment. He is, he's replaced this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's done this work in me. And yet over time, as action trumps intimacy, over time, as, I'm, as I think that transformation comes with doing, over time, as I'm deformed by the things of the world, I'm in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not experiencing the fruit that he has on offer. That's a real thing for a lot of people. A lot of people. So how do we experience the fruit? Every branch that he does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you, right? You're already in. You're already in. Now listen, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus is the prerequisite to spiritual fruit and transformation. The transformation that we long for is only found in Jesus himself. This is why intimacy is so critical. The goal of your year spiritually, right? We set these goals. Man, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray every, every morning, every night. When I wake up, when I go, the first thing I do, I'm going to pray. Right, you have these goals. Those are good goals. They're good habits. Get into that. Do that. But we must do it for the sake of intimacy, not for the sake of just doing. I need to be with Jesus. I need to be, behold Jesus. If I'm ever going to become like Jesus. Those things must be for the sake of nearness, must be for the sake of intimacy, because he's the one that's going to bring the transformation. And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, famously, right? And we all with unveiled face, been saved, rescued, redeemed, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now listen to the last piece. For this comes from the spiritual disciplines. No, this comes from reading your Bible. No, this comes from, no, it comes from the Lord. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who's going to transform you. We fight to abide in the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ transforms us from the inside out. But if your fight is to transform yourself, you'll grow all the more weary and long to quit. Intimacy must be greater than action because intimacy with Jesus, beholding Jesus, is the only thing that's going to make you become like Jesus. It comes from Him and Him alone. Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, put it this way. He said, What delight of the heart is experienced by that man who has learned to feed on Jesus and on Jesus alone? Only Jesus. My you to learn to feed on Jesus 
and only Jesus. My everything you do, my every spiritual book you read, every verse of your Bible, every prayer you pray, every practice you practice, every time you meet with your pastor, might it be for the sake of intimacy and nearness with Jesus, not for the sake of just doing. Learn to feed on Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to challenge you this week to pursue intimacy over everything else. This is going to involve some slowing down, some carving out time to be still alone with God, to behold Jesus through his word and prayer. But remember, those tools of formation exist to aid in intimacy. They are not a means to transformation in and of themselves. We do these things. We force ourselves to slow down in silence and Sabbath and solitude. We read our Bibles and we pray, but not as a means to transformation, but as a means to intimacy. So as you do these things, do them for the sake of intimacy, not for the sake of doing. I want to challenge you to memorize um, a couple verses of Scripture this week and to pray them at different times during your week. Pray them during your times of prayer. Pray them at your meals as a family. Pray this prayer um, as you open your Bible, as you make time for God. It comes from Psalm 51. David prays this. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. How would that prayer transform your mealtime prayers? Instead of praying, Father, we praise you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for my smoking hot wife that prepared it. Thank you for all this. And amen. How would that prayer transform your mealtime prayer? How would that prayer transform your time in the Word? Even if it is the YouVersion Bible app, even if it is, I mean, I just got to get my verse in today, but I'm going to start with that prayer. How would it transform that time? How would it transform that time? I think it might cause you to yearn for intimacy more than just getting it done. So here's what I want to do. I just want to close our time by inviting you to pray that prayer with me. And so if you would just, if you just humor me for a minute, if you want this, if you're like spiritual transformation, bah, I don't want that. That's fine. I don't care. Um, I do care. But this isn't for you. If, if you want this, I want intimacy with Jesus. I want to invite you to praise with me. Just bow your heads. I want you to, I want you to open your hands. Just lay them on your lap. Palms up. I'm just going to give you a minute. I want you to take a deep breath. Just release that breath. And be, before we pray, I want you to be reminded. We come to the table with nothing. These hands are empty hands. They have done no saving work. They have done nothing to earn God's favor or grace or mercy or kindness. In fact, they've done far more to the opposite end. That's what we bring to the table. So let us turn our affections to him. 
the one who is infinitely merciful to us, the one who loves us in spite of ourselves, the one who continues to welcome us to the table even though we have nothing to offer. Let his grace and his mercy stir your affections towards him. Let his kindness and the goodness of the blood of Christ move you to desire his will for your life rather than your own will for your life. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Father, I confess that my heart has been on the throwing wheel of the world. I've bought into every lie that's been sold, and those lies have formed me. They form me into one who believes in my heart that everything I want is found in more. More doing, more action, more money, more sex, more power. More adoration, more praise for me, more glory for myself. Those are the things that have been formed in me. So create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit. Father, I, I confess that I've climbed onto the throwing wheel of the world. I need you to pull me back. Pull me back. Draw me back into your presence. Woo me once again with your love and your affection for me. Be my motivation. Let your mercy remind me. Let your grace spur me on. Don't take your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Fill me with your spirit. Finally, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Remind me of the joy of your salvation. Remind me that you are the only one who saves. Remind me of that moment in my life when I was transformed forever, led from spiritual darkness and brought into spiritual light. Remind me of that moment and restore the joy of your salvation within me. Restore me to that joy and uphold me with a willing spirit. Don't let me quit chasing after intimacy, pursuing intimacy. Don't let me stop. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Do it all over again. 
Fill me with your spirit. Create in me a clean heart. Motivate me with your grace and your mercy that I might draw all the more near to you, that I would behold you and be with you, that that would be the cry of my heart. And have your way with me. Pray these things in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, if you want to stay there in that posture, I invite you to stay there as long as you need. When you're ready, you can stand and sing with us.